You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Romans chapter 8, we're only going to take verses 26 and 27 this morning. That will be plenty. So I invite you to Look there with me as we read verse 26 and 27. Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing on his holy and sacred word. Heavenly Father, we pray that, uh, Lord, you would open our hearts to these words. Uh, Paul wrote them, but they're yours. Uh, Father, we know that he wrote under divine inspiration these words that you have given him, Father. And Lord, we know that these are your words. And Father, we ask that you would open your words to our hearts. Open our hearts to your word, Father. Teach us these things. Show us these things. Uh, Move us by these things, Father. Encourage us. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Every um, culture has its idols. As you go from culture to culture, the idols um, in some respects vary and they change. As we think of our own culture, I I think most of you agree that without a shadow of doubt, one of our culture's great idols is is strength. Uh, Strength. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about that, but everywhere you look, there's uh, images of strength, whether it be uh, professional athlete uh, models, if you will, in commercials, or whether it be the television shows that we watch. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the show Blue Bloods or not. I suspect some of you are familiar. And I mean, you could hardly imagine that program um, being much of a program if it was a family of weak uh, individuals. Um, and we could go through all kinds of television shows and, and uh, we just see strength. And I might even add this qualifier, youthful strength. Um, we see that as being held supreme as something that is to be desired, something that we should strive for. Uh, we see it everywhere. And, you know, as I was thinking of examples of this, this um, dates us a little bit, but uh, hopefully everyone, maybe everyone will get it nevertheless. But I was thinking of the old commercial that you couldn't drive anywhere without seeing. You remember the Marlboro Man? I mean, some of us are shaking their heads. And, I mean, he couldn't go anywhere. Could you? Could you go anywhere? I mean, you couldn't take a trip anyplace without seeing the Marlboro Man. Now, someone might be thinking, okay, what's the Marlboro Man? It was this, like, cowboy figure who was... I mean, he, you know, he was, you know, he was like this rugged cowboy, you know, and it was a commercial for Marlboro cigarettes. And, uh, you know, he had he, lit up a smoke and, you know, you can leave here and say, oh, you know what the pastor talked about this morning? Well, smoking cigarettes. That's what. <laughs> yeah, we give him that, uh, all these accolades and then he started going on about smoking, you know, I mean, uh, never do that again, you know. Um, but the Marlboro man was this, I mean, he portrayed this, uh, this rugged, you know, rough, uh, masculine, strong uh, character. Uh, I was thinking, you know, could you imagine a, a skinny, weak, like puny looking guy like going for the 
the cut, you know. Yeah, I'm here for the position of Marlboro Man. Um, well, okay, well, you can go sit over there. I mean, he would look funny amongst all the other applicants. Or could you imagine Gilligan from Gilligan's Island as the Marlboro Man? I mean, it just wouldn't work because our culture really values strength. Uh, we value self-sufficiency. We like this, I can do it myself kind of stuff. Or I can do anything I, I set my mind to. You know, you'll hear that all the time. You know, I, listen, everyone, I could set my mind to be an NBA basketball star all I want. But guess what? It ain't happening. I don't care how much I set my mind to it. First of all, I'm about three feet too short. Um, and secondly, I can't get a ball through the hoop. Um, it's just not going to happen. Um, but nevertheless, we embrace this kind of thing. And we, we hear it all around us. But with that all having been said, when you come to Rome, verses like Romans 8 and verse 26, I mean, it resonates with us. When we read these words, quote, likewise, the Spirit helps us and our weakness. I mean, that's, that resonates, doesn't it? Especially when you're going through a tough time, that resonates. Now, I know all of you. I, I know that, and this is one of the advantages of a small congregation, is, is that I do know all of you, and um, you all know me. And I, I know that I'm fully aware that probably everyone in this room would be willing to confess their weakness before God. Um, we would be willing to confess that. We'd be willing to admit that. Uh, but there might be some who will tune into this message maybe on the internet and uh, they're not there yet. They're still strongly embracing the idea that I can do it myself. And I got this. Or some might say, well, you know, I've never asked for any help before in my life. I'm not going to start now. And you'll hear that kind of thing. And, and with that having been said, let's not tune out on this altogether because... Uh, there's still a strong remnant of that, even in our hearts as well. And you could ask me how I know that. Uh, well, um, I'll give you one word that tells me how I know that. And the word is prayerlessness. Uh, prayerlessness. I mean, when we rush in before praying, we prove right then and there that we still have that idea that we can do it ourselves, don't we? And how quickly we're all ready just to rush in without God's help. Amen? So, nevertheless, this uh, still speaks to our hearts. Let's look at the context. If you look back to Romans 8 and verse 3, there Paul says, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. You see, there's one word I want to turn your attention to is the word weakened. Because we're going to talk a lot about weakness. This morning, Paul says the law has been weakened by the flesh. And you'll recall that when we studied this passage, we saw that there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good, isn't it? And it's a very gracious thing for God to give us his law. Uh, the law reveals God's character. But the problem is when the law is given to sinful creatures, all it can do is condemn. And we've We've talked about this. We've said, you know, the, the law can't help you obey it, can it? It offers no mercy. Um, it, it offers no assistance for obedience. And this is because, you know, we can't save ourselves. We might be saying that we really got this one. We might be saying and embracing, I can do all things I put my mind to. But the fact is, you can't. 
um, if I wanted to be an opera singer, you know, I'm going to be in trouble. I wouldn't be much better at that than, than I am at basketball. I can put my mind to that all I want. It's not going to change things. Um, we, we can't. We can't do it ourselves. We don't have this one. When it comes to salvation, we can't save ourselves. Maybe we've never asked for help before. Maybe we've never done that. But when it comes to this one, we better start asking now. Um, but the problem, as we well know, is that in our natural state, we're really so bad off that we don't even realize that we're bad off. You know, you go to the workplace and, and you'll see this all the time. People are in houses that are burning down all around them and they can't even smell a whiff of smoke, can they? This really struck me this over the last couple of weeks as I've been talking to people that I've really grown to love so deeply and have shared the gospel with them and shared the gospel with them. But just watch. And, and without the assistance of the Holy Spirit, those of you who are actively sharing your faith, what happens? It's just like this, isn't it? It's just like, you know, just like water off the back of a duck, isn't it? Uh, we so, we, 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 we're weak. We, we're in a mess. We're in such a mess that we don't even know we're in a mess. And we reach for silly things to help and assist. Uh, back to the show Blue Bloods, this might have been why it was on my mind this week, as Tammy and I were, you know, the on-demand thing, you can watch shows, you know, it's kind of neat, you know, you can watch shows that you missed, and we were uh, trying to unwind a little bit, and we watched, uh, I think it's the most recent episode of Blue Bloods, maybe the second most recent, and uh, maybe some of you saw it, and there's a scene at the end, I think, of every episode. I haven't seen them all, but I think at the end of every episode, there's a scene where the family's all around the table. I love that scene because, you know, it's refreshing that the screenwriters wrote into the characters this, uh, this uh, uh, importance of family. They're all around the table, you know, and I think that's great. And they're all around the table and they were discussing the drug epidemic because this particular episode really... Uh, kind of focused on the drug epidemic. And um, it was suggested around the table at the end of the show that education uh, could solve the drug epidemic. Now, those of you who know me really well, and that's probably all of you, know that I'm not anti-education at all. I mean, in the ARP, we, you know, um, we require a four-year bachelor's degree and then a master's degree for ordination it's three years of postgraduate work and you know it's the same academic rigor as your average attorney and i i underwent that with zeal i i wanted to go to seminary i wanted to sit under those professors i like to learn i'm not i say this because i'm not anti-education at all uh, by by no means um, but i think to think that education is going to solve the drug problem is the same thing as Adam and Eve thinking fig leaves were fashionable. Um, you know, I, it's a joke, but it's got a serious point to it. I mean, and after all, I do understand that Marshalls have fig leaves on sale if anyone's interested. Um, that's a joke with really no point to it at all. You know, and I, I want to be clear here, you know, I know there are school teachers that listen to my sermons online. And uh, I tip my hat to all school teachers and I say that education would not hurt. And I'm not saying that education is unimportant. Um, after all, I'm sure that those fig leaves did provide some cover. And there I go doing it again. I think I had to knock off the fig leaf thing here. But um, education without Christ is not going to solve the problem, is it? 
We know that. It's not. Um, learning what to do, learning what to say, this is important, but education is not a savior. It's one of the idols of the United States. I remember reading uh, a number of years ago, the, I think it was a sermon. It was written by a pastor who's not real well known. He's writing from the UK, and he was writing in the 1930s, and he was criticizing the United States as practically worshiping education. This is back in the 1930s. So we've had a long-standing problem with thinking that education is going to save us of all of our ills. Well, education is important, but it can't save us. Uh, to say that education can save us is the same thing as saying we can save ourselves. After all, who's in charge of education? Uh, and that's why the gospel says back in verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Self-sufficiency is fleshly. And to think that we can do this on our own is of the flesh. If you look down to verse 7 and 8, for the mind that is set on the flesh is what? It's hostile. The old King James translation, as I recall, says to set the mind on the flesh is enmity against God. The word enemy is in there. It's to be an enemy of God, to set our minds on self-sufficiency. and think we, To think that we can do this by ourselves actually is to set up um, enmity between ourselves and God. Um, Paul continues in verse 7, For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And if you look down to verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If we continue on that trajectory, thinking we can do this ourselves, we're going to perish. We don't have this. And because our attitude of strength and self-sufficiency, because it is so bedded in all of us, one of the things that God really has to do is is by way of his Holy Spirit, he needs to convince us that we're weak. He, he really does. You know, he, he, he really does. And uh, with that in mind, look at, look at Romans 8.26. The Apostle Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our what? Our weakness. Our weakness. I, I, I want you to notice something that Paul doesn't do here. This is something he doesn't do. He doesn't like interrupt his discourse all at once and said, okay, now listen, fellas, you can, you're strong guys. You can go sit over here. Um, you can set this one out. Go, go get a cup of coffee, get a Danish, uh, sit this one out. You don't need this message. I want to address the weak ones for a little bit, and I'll whistle for you when I'm ready to get back on this. He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't do that. No, he is speaking to all of us. Why is he speaking to all of us? Because we're all weak. We're all weak and we're all frail. And the word that he uses is an interesting word. Ask the Nea if anyone's interested. That's the word that Paul uses in Romans 8.26. It's translated weakness by the ESV translation. It appears in the New Testament with some frequency. For instance, in Matthew 8.17, Matthew in that passage is quoting Isaiah 53.4, and Matthew writes, he took our, ask the Nea, he took our illnesses. And he bore our diseases. So it can be translated illness. In Luke 5.15, it's translated infirmities. For example, quote, But now even more, the report about him, that is Jesus, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their asthenia, to be healed of their infirmities. So if we have, we have uh, uh, illness, infirmity. This is a real interesting 
take here in um, Luke 13, 11, we read, and there was a woman who had a asthenia, a disabling spirit for 18 years. She bent, was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And then in the very next verse, Jesus uses the word and he said, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, and these are the words of Jesus, woman, you're freed from your asthenia. You're free from your disability. So we have um, illness, we have infirmities, we have disabling spirit, we have disability. Jesus uses the word to describe Lazarus when he's deathly ill, uh, just before he dies. And you know that Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead. He would call out to the tomb and Lazarus comes out with his burial clothes on. And in Romans 6.19, Paul uses it to describe natural limitations. He says there, I am speaking in human terms because of your asthenia, your natural limitations. If you look at this quick survey of, of the word, you see all this stuff that we can fall in, can't you? There isn't anything here that none of us can't fall in. We have natural limitations. We fall in all kinds of infirmities. Just look at our prayer list. Uh, disease, illnesses, infirmities, dis, uh, disabilities. Uh, even the strong of us, I mean, the, the, the strongest of us. How long are we strong? Think of the strongest person you know. How long are we strong? A few decades, maybe? On the outside? It's not very long. And what, is a, what are a few decades in comparison to eternity? like a sneeze at best. And no matter how strong we are today, we could be stripped of our strength in a moment. I mean, most of us had the painful experience of coming alongside someone who was once very, very strong and we saw them as the, maybe the strongest person in the world. And whether it be of old age or whether it be of illness or whether it be of both, they had to have help getting out of bed. I was at a pastor's conference a few years ago and one of the speakers described being at the bedside of a man who actually had one time held strength records. And the pastor speaker was very cautious, I think, with the details. I don't think he wanted to give up the identity of the man he was talking about. But he referred to him a couple of times as the strongest man in the world at one time. And this man had been stripped of so much strength he was unable to lift his legs. Unable to lift his legs. We are frail. Even the strongest of us. We're frail. Now, I love to preach because I love to share good news. And someone might have just heard that and think, well, okay, well, we're ready for you to get on with the good news. I mean, I think all I've heard you saying so far is we're weak and we're frail. And that's right. That's the first point. Um. And it, it is kind of miserable, isn't it? Um, if, if I closed in prayer right now, I think it'd be a very miserable message. Um, but I'm not going to close right now um, because in our text here, if you look at Romans 8.26, Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And the second point I want to make, the first point is we are weak, we are frail. One of the first things the Holy Spirit has to do is convince us of this, that we have to have a Savior. We can't save ourselves. But the second point I want to make, and this is where the good news gets really good, is that the Holy Spirit meets us right in the center of our weakness. 
Isn't that wonderful? He meets us right in the center of our weakness. And here, where's the center? Here, Paul, I mean, Paul could have just said, listen, when we're weak, the Holy Spirit, he, you know, he meets us in our weakness. And he could have went, he could have just kept moving. But it's really interesting that he says, we do, he goes, for we do not know what to pray for as we are. And again, Paul here, he's saying, okay, you, you, you fellas, you guys over here, I know you guys. You guys are always lifting weights. You guys are strong. You guys go on over here, and uh, I, I want to address the, the weak fellas for a little bit. I'll whistle for you when I'm done. He doesn't do that, does he? He's using the pronoun are. Um, Paul's concluding himself in his message. One thing I like about praying for Alex is Alex always prays, you know, I mean, Rick listened to his own message. That's a good thing. Um, that's a very good thing. I like that. I love it. I want to encourage him to continue to pray that way. Paul is including himself in his message, isn't he? Are. He doesn't say your. He says are. The Holy Spirit meets us in our weakness. He's speaking of all of us. There are no strong ones. And really, arguably, one of the areas I think where we're most, maybe not most weak, but very weak is in the area of prayer, isn't it? Knowing what to pray for. Paul says, for we do not know what to pray for as we are, but this is precisely where the Holy Spirit meets us, right in the center of our weakness. How many times have you like really felt stirred to want to pray? Man, I really want to pray. I can't wait till I have my first opportunity to pray. I'm going to go wherever it is I like to pray. And I'm, uh, you know, I just can't wait to get there. And, and, and uh, you get there and and uh, you put your hands together, you bow your head, and you, you okay, it's time, I'm, I'm going to get to pray. And then you go to pray, and all you hear is crickets, you know. Can't think of a single thing to say. Has anyone had that experience before? Paul says, we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. And really, if you want to talk about weakness, I mean, I think prayer is most likely near where we don't particularly feel proud and strong, do we? Um, here our hearts are sometimes cold, unmotivated. We don't know if we're praying right. We don't know if we're saying the right things. It feels like a chore instead of a privilege. In fact, you know, Robert Murray McShane uh, was said to have once said, if you want to humble any Christian, ask them about their prayer life. This is an area where I think we have a tendency to be weak. And because of that, it's also an area where we experience a lot of guilt. It's an area where we can experience a lot of guilt. Um, and so many books on prayer, I don't know if you've read some of them. I've read some of them. Some of them were required reading when I was in seminary. And um, they didn't motivate me to pray at all. Actually, what they did was they really just kind of beat me up. Um, have you ever read those kind of books? I mean, they all kind of go the same, these type of books. There's, there's somebody from church history and and they were always praying you know like 28 hours a day they were in prayer um i'm not mocking praying all the time don't misunderstand me but like you read those books and there's this ideal and this is the way this person was and there's this constant appeal to be like this person was and um you read that and and you think man i'm nothing like that um and I don't even really, I think that it's so far away that I don't really know that I could really ever be like that. I wonder if I'm even saved. 
after reading this. I don't even sound like I'm even in Christ, you know. Maybe I need to get back to the gospel and see if I'm really, if I've really had new birth. It strips you, it crushes you. Um, I don't want to do that this morning to anyone uh, as we talk about prayer. I mean, let me give you an example. I mean, in his marvelous book, Hole in Our Holiness, I just learned about this word the other day, or this book the other day, Donald told me about it, and I thought, you know, I want to read it. I bought it and I read it. Uh, It's entitled Hole in Our Holiness by Kevin DeYoung. It's a great read, great book. And at one point in his book, he quotes one old preacher who writes this, and I'm not mocking this preacher. This probably was a probably was the right message for the for the particular juncture in church history uh, that he was writing in. But but let me give you a taste. He writes this quote: "I take it for granted that every Christian that is in health is up early in the morning, for it is much more reasonable to suppose a person up early because he is a Christian than because he is a laborer or a tradesman or a servant or has business that wants him." Let this therefore teach us to conceive how odious we must appear in the sight of heaven if we are in bed, shut up in sleep and darkness, when we should be praising God and are such slaves to drowsiness as to neglect our devotions for it. For if he is to be blamed as a slothful drone that rather chooses the lazy indulgence of sleep than to perform his proper share of worldly business, how much more is he to be reproached that would rather lie folded up in bed than be praising, raising up his heart to God in acts of praise and adoration. Sleep is such a dull, stupid state of existence that even if amongst mere animals we despise them most, which are most drowsy. He, therefore, that chooses to enlarge the slothful indulgence of sleep rather than be early in his devotions to God, chooses the dullest refreshments of the body before the highest, noblest employment of the soul. He chooses that state which is a reproach to mere animals rather than exercise which is the glory of angels, end of quote. Now, I'm not mocking this. Uh, I'll leave the author out of it. I'm familiar with the author. I'm familiar with other things the author has written, and um, I'm not mocking it at all. Perhaps this is what a generation needed. As I read that, and I've read it several times, and I typed it into my notes, I couldn't help but think to myself, sounds like these guys were in bed all the time, you know? I mean, it sounded like they were sleeping all the time, and, I remember reading somewhere a number of years ago that in 1900, the average American got nine hours of sleep. In 1900. I looked it up this week uh, to see where that average is now, and it's 6.8 hours. Um, I can tell you I don't average 6.8 hours of sleep. So when I read this, I'm thinking, goodness, my goodness, okay, I'm, all right, um, this just beats you down, doesn't it? It just beats you down. Um, I want us to leave here this morning motivated to pray, not leave here this morning feeling like failures. Um, and I think that if we leave here this morning feeling like a failure, I don't think we've really, I don't think we've really preached the text. I don't think we've really got the message that Paul has for us. I've been praying all week that we'd be motivated by the sermon to, to, to pray. And some of you uh, have heard me talk about residual effects, like the residual effect of a sermon, for instance. The residual effect of a message is that effect that the message has on you. It may be conscious or subconscious, but it's the effect that the message had on you once it was over with. We're not always aware of it. Um, 
we might not always be able to put our finger on it, but there is an effect that a message has on you. It could be a good effect. It could be a bad effect. I'm praying it's a good effect. I'm praying that the effect it has on me is like, wow, man, um, I'd like to pray. I would really like to pray and spend time in communion with God. So I don't want to hammer on anyone, especially in an area where you're already feeling weak and guilty. And I suspect prayer is that one of those areas. So here is, um, here's some motivation to pray that comes right out of our text. When it comes to prayer, and we think about our prayer life, and if someone would say to us, you know, hey, how about your prayer life? And all that guilt and all of that whatever comes up, we can think, you know, yeah, that prayer life, yeah, the one I keep neglecting, I can't quite get to. The Holy Spirit meets you right there in the weakness. He meets you right in the center of our weakness. And my next and final point, which fleshes that out, I think, is that the Holy Spirit not only meets us in our weakness, but the Holy Spirit gives us precisely what we need in our weakness. He gives us precisely what we need in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for. That's what Paul says. We often do not know what to pray for as we should. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? He meets us by uh, interceding with us. He jumps in in the praying process and begins praying in our behalf. He intercedes. To intercede is to pray on behalf of someone. He begins to pray. And in fact, all prayer, whether you realize it or not, if it's true prayer, the Holy Spirit's right in the thick and thin of it. You know, to go into that in great detail this morning is beyond the scope of the message, but just trust me on that one. We can see it here. Uh, the Holy Spirit is always involved in, in prayer. Now, how does he do it? Uh, how exactly does he do it? Well, earlier, in this, earlier this week, in, in the process of preparing for this message, I come across a story that I think just drove this home so, so well. I'll share it with you. How many have heard of Ligon Duncan? Has anyone ever heard? He's an American theologian that some of you are familiar with, some not so familiar with. He was preaching on this passage a number of years ago. Um, and he shared a story from his childhood I thought just so marvelously drove this home. And he said that when he was a young boy, his brother had a seizure. And the seizure caused his brother to stop breathing. And he ran and got his father. And his father immediately ran and began to administer CPR uh, to his son. And he told Ligon, get such and such on the phone, who happened to be a medical doctor who was a friend of the family's. So Ligon ran to the phone and he calls up their doctor friend and the doctor's office answers the phone and the woman um, says, hi, how can I help you? And Ligon was so upset and by the trauma of it all. He was trying to explain what was going on, but he couldn't get the words out. He couldn't. He kept saying, my brother needs help. My brother needs help. And she'd say, well, what, what's wrong with your brother? He needs help. He needs help. Well, tell me, what's, what, what, what kind of help does he need? He needs help. He couldn't get any further than that when all at once his father realized that um, Ligon just couldn't get it out. He was too upset. He was too traumatized by the trauma. Ligon's father took the phone off of Ligon and then calmly explained the situation so that help could arrive. What a wonderful illustration. That's what our Father does for us. So, you know, you feel stirred and motivated to pray. and You know, as soon as I get to my, my little quiet place, I'm going to pray. And, 
You, you know, you bow your head and you put your hands together and you hear the crickets. Instead of feeling guilty, just turn to Romans 8.26. And maybe sing, I am weak, but thou art strong. And you'll be right in, you'll, you'll be right in there. I, I would almost guarantee you'll be praying in no time. As the Holy Spirit meets you in your weakness and gives you precisely what you need when you need it. As He gives you precisely what you need when you need it. In terms of application, I only have three things to say. One is, I hope that this is a wonderful incentive to pray. Um, God knows our shortcomings. He knows our guilt. He know, he, he know, listen, He knows it all. He knows it all. He's not going to browbeat you. Um, if you find yourself being browbeat, that's not the Lord doing that. He doesn't do that. It's not His character. He'll meet you in your time of weakness. Whether it be prayer, or that could be applied to anything. He'll meet you in your time of weakness. I mean, think of all of the ways that Asthenia was used earlier. And I, I, I just shared a few of them. You know, Christ came and met people in their illness. He came and met people in their disease. He came and met people in their disabilities. It's of the nature of God to meet us in our weakness. And it's also of the nature of God to give us precisely what we need in times of weakness. And this should be motivation to pray. God knows us so well. He invites us to come and pray. We, not be, we may not be able to pray and sound like somebody else. Who cares? Who cares? You might think, well, I want to sound like such and such when I pray. Don't, don't do that. You aren't such and such. You know, you want to sound like yourself when you pray. Second application is this is wonderful incentive to trust. You know something? You don't have to be strong. Culture is telling you everywhere you've got to be strong. You're not strong. I'm not strong. This is cool news. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. It's such an incredible relief to realize we don't have to be strong. We don't have to be strong. Um, we don't have to carry the weight that culture is placing on us. We were never meant to. Uh, we're never meant to be self-sufficient. It's an incredible relief when we find out that we don't have to be. So it's a wonderful incentive to trust, but it's also a wonderful incentive to rest. I mean, this should be powerful incentive to rest in the goodness and strength of our God. Guess what? We're weak and we're frail. But God is good. He meets us in our weakness. Isn't that relieving? He meets us in our weakness. And you know what? He gives us what we need. Precisely what we need in our weakness. Especially in one of the weakest. If he'll do this in one of the weakest areas of our lives, he'll do it in all areas of our lives, won't he? So, Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for verses. This Romans chapter 8, what an incredible chapter you've given us, Father. A chapter to encourage us, to strengthen us, to motivate us, Father. And I pray that we would all be motivated to praise. We, that the guilt that we experience and all of the other things that we experience, whether it be from neglect or it be from inability or what have you, we see, oh, oh Father, that you meet us right in our area of weakness. And Father, we thank you. And it gets better than that, but that 
Father, you give us what we need in our weakness. It's not that you just meet us here and then we're still like short, but you meet us in our weakness and you give us everything that we need, uh, precisely what we need. And uh, for that, Father, we, uh, we're encouraged, hopefully encouraged to, to pray and, and encouraged to trust and encouraged to rest in you and you alone. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen.